good song anyway, so. All right, open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter number 22. That's where we are, and we we got down through verse number, let me see here, verse number 9, verse number, verse number 10, it looks like. Uh, and we pick up in verse 11. That sound right to everybody? I believe I'm right. All right, verse 11. The good thing about Proverbs, regardless of where you pick up and uh, where you go, why there's always some practical advice. Proverbs 22, 11. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips the king shall be his friend. Now, notice this is worded a little bit different than what we would uh, phrase it, you know, were we writing the same thought. But understand this goes back to 1611 in the King's English and so forth. And so it's uh, naturally a bit different in the way that it's phrased. But notice the first phrase of this proverb, that that's describing the person of whom he's speaking. The second phrase describes what he does. So he's speaking about a person who loves pureness of heart. And uh, what he does, notice, is for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. I think it's interesting there when he talks about he that loveth pureness of heart. Well, you know, that, oh, that would eliminate a good portion of our population today because that's not the way a lot of people feel. But this is talking about a person that wants to be free from guile or lust or evil uh, of any kind. It's talking about somebody that is humble, somebody sincere, somebody that is obedient. And, and I realize, listen, that none of us are completely pure in our heart. It would be a great thing, but the fact of the matter is none of us are. We might pretend that we are, uh, but, uh, but we're really not. But uh, as long as we're in this world, you know, we can at least love pureness of heart. We might not attain it, but we can love it, although we're not perfect. We can have perfection as our goal. And the fact of the matter is we'll get a lot, a lot closer to it if that's the, the goal in our life than if we just, you know, have the frivolous attitude, oh, well, you know, none of us are perfect, so it's really not all that important how I live. You just don't make much progress in your life when that's your attitude. You just kind of get stuck where you are and as long as we think we're okay where we are, we're never going to advance beyond that. So although we're, uh, you know, we aren't sinless, we ought to have a desire to be sinless, a desire to be like Christ. And, uh, and, and, and notice he's talking about pureness of heart. This is what's going on on the inside of a person. And uh, it's important because whatever it is that we are inwardly, that's going to affect us outwardly. And so the, this, this desire to be pure in heart, it's, it's going to change us and it's going to influence others in the process. Uh, an old writer, uh, one of the old Puritan writers many years ago said, Pureness of heart sheds such refinement over the whole character and pours such grace upon the lips as attracts the admiration of those who do not understand its source and cannot appreciate 
It's principle. And, and, and that's just another way of saying it really gets the attention of people whenever out of a pure heart we speak those things that are impressive because, let's face it, gracious speech is something that is very impressive to people. And if we're going to build strong relationships with one another, then then trust is an imperative because our relationships are built upon trust. You can't have a good relationship uh, with anyone if you don't trust one another. And so these words here determine, you know, whether we're going to trust each other or not. If our heart is pure, if our words are kind and gracious, if we're loving and so forth and forgiving toward others, it's going to impress other people. Now, in this case, notice it's talking about impressing the king. Well, you can well imagine that would be, you know, a great advantage having the king as your friend. I mean, especially back in those days, because, you know, I'm told by historians that in some instances it was such a crime to enter into the king's presence with a frown on your face that it was an automatic execution. You know, it, well, that'd get rid of a lot of Baptists, wouldn't it? I, yeah, just, uh, that, you know, you're out of go cut his head off, you know. And so uh, to, to impress a, a king, and, and I know, listen, we, we can go overboard in trying to, impress people and and you never know who you're going to meet along the way i was just thinking back uh, the other day something come up and i i got to thinking back in uh, uh, the, when i first started pastoring the very first church i can remember carl ball i don't know if you know carl ball he's the man over here at the you know, at the boneyard what's the name of the place all the dinosaur stuff over there the creation thing. Anyway, Carl was a young preacher back then. He just getting started, and uh, he happened to be in town, and I had Carl come and preach for us there. And, and then in the next church, I had uh, uh, a quartet, and so happened John Ashcroft, who later became the governor of Missouri and uh, was the uh, the attorney general of the United States. I got to know John real well, and in fact, he went with me on some uh, crusades preaching around over the country and in, in those little towns and what have you. You know, they, they, I don't know, there's something about it whenever you're able to say, boy, the king, the king knows me and I know the king. If I get in any trouble, you know, I've got the king to bail me out. Listen, I know that we put a lot of emphasis on knowing people that are in positions of, uh, of authority and what have you. But let me tell you, the most important people in your life are not people that are presidents of universities and politicians and uh, famous athletes and things of that nature. The most important people in your life are family members and your dear friend. Sometimes, listen, sometimes you can have a dear friend that's closer to you than most of your blood relatives, and that means something. And, 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 you know, whether it's your co-worker, your classmate, your neighbor, whoever it is, we've got to understand that a good relationship requires a pure heart and gracious speech. We can't just, you know, be, be, say whatever we, whatever we feel like saying and expect to have a good relationship with people because I'm telling you, they don't want to hear it. 
You know, some people, you know, brag about, well, you know, boy, I, I just say whatever I'm thinking, whatever's on my heart. I just tell it like it is, and people don't like it, but, boy, they're going to uh, they're going to know how I feel. Well, you know, the Bible says a fool uttereth all of his mind. So there is no reason for any of us, you know, to to not be gracious toward one another in the things that we say. Someone has determined that the average person speaks about 30,000 words a day. Now, I don't know whether that, uh, you know, that's, I guess that's an average of men and women. I don't have the guts to try to uh, figure out whether the women speak more than the men or anything like that. <laughs> but 30,000 words a day, let, 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 let me tell you, that, that's a... That's, that's a that, that's a lot of words. That's a lot of opportunity to either do good or to do bad. Now, li- listen to this verse in Colossians 3 and verse 6. You might want to put this down in the margin of your Bible because it fits right into what we're talking about. And Paul says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Think about it. Let your speech be always with grace. Do you know that means, that word always, that means whenever you don't agree with somebody else. Right? It means even when you might be angry with someone else. Some way or another, we've got it in our mind that if we're really ticked off at somebody, we've got a, automatically, we've got a license to be rude and crude in our speech toward them. And we don't. Our speech is to always be seasoned with grace. I don't know whoever said the Christian life is easy, but I'm telling you what, I don't think they knew what they were talking about. You just try that for one day to let your speech be always seasoned with grace, as he says. And you try it one day, and I'll guarantee you, just automatically you're going to see your need of God's help because I'm telling you God is the only one that can enable us to control our tongue. The Bible says the tongue is an unruly member of the body and in fact it tells us that no man can tame the tongue. Well, man can't, but I'm telling you God can. God can and as we submit ourselves to the Lord... He enables us to do what we ordinarily couldn't do. Now, we're talking about, we're talking about making an impression here on the king. Or in our case, you know, our spouse, our our children, our parents, whoever it might be. We want to say those things and do those things that's going to please them, that's going to gain their favor. But most of all, it ought to be our heart's desire to please God. Uh, I mean, it's our love and our desire to have a pure heart that's going to secure his favor. You know, we can talk about the fact, well, you know, all I want out of life is just to know that I've, you know, that my life has been pleasing to God. And you've heard me say, no doubt, many times, I just hope and pray that when it's all said and done, when it's all over, and I stand before the Lord, the one thing above everything that I want to hear is well done, thou good and faithful servant. I just, I just want to know that in some way that I pleased him. And the only way that's possible is uh, to have a pure heart that affects my life to the extent that I do what I should 
instead of what I shouldn't. And, and, and imagine this, having God as your friend. Now, now the writer here is speaking about having the king as your friend because of the way you conduct yourself. But think about having God as your friend. Wow, you know, we sing that old song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, All Our Sins and Grief to Bear. Well, I'll tell you, to, to have him as our friend, and he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother, that ought to mean more to us than anything in all of the world. And the way that we maintain that close fellowship with him is by pureness of heart that leads to a uh, to purity of our life. Now, verse number 12, the eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge, and he overthroweth the words of the transgressor. There's an interesting verse in the book of Hosea, chapter number 4. Uh, Brother Kenneth was talking, I was talking to him yesterday, and he said, I found some of your notes on Hosea, and he said, I, 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 something about it just really piqued his interest. And he said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to teach that little book to the, uh, to the teens, and it, it's a great study. But there's one phrase in there that I think is really key to everything, and it's where the Lord says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Now, I want you to remember that as we study this verse because throughout all of the centuries, our only safeguard has been the truth. None of us would be free. None of us would be safe without the truth. Remember, the Lord said, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, the problem is, We live in a fallen world with sinful people, people who are blind to the truth. And that sets up, naturally, all of the conflict that we see. Uh, And even though they're blind to the truth, believe me, that doesn't stop them from being very vocal about their opinions. Nearly everybody has an opinion on everything. I uh, and over and over again, I talked about the fact that, you know, a lot of times a professional athlete or an entertainer or something just because they're a movie star, and they may be, listen, they might be 25 years old, but they act like they know everything about everything, how the world ought to work and, and what have you. I, I, just, I run across something, and I can't remember who said it. It was, it was in fact, a movie star talking about movie stars and, 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 and how foolish they are in thinking that they're experts on everything. And I posted it on Facebook. You can, if, you, if you're on there, you can read it when you get home. But I, I thought to myself, I, I'm glad that finally some other movie star recognized the foolishness of these movie stars who think they're experts. Everybody has an opinion on everything. And... Um, they got their idea about, you know, what is right and what is wrong. And so it's no wonder that we live in a world with so much confusion. And the fact is, uh, when we talk about the confusion in the world, and, and Paul teaches very clearly that we are in a global warfare. Every day, every night, there's a struggle going on between good and evil, between right and wrong and truth and error. And every, listen, every generation... There have been those wicked people that plotted against the truth. By that, I mean they have devised schemes to to try to get rid of the Bible. 
They've made it their life mission that I am going to rid the world of the Bible. And, and, and they've, they've said so much. I mean, they stated it. I was trying to think exactly who it was and the details, but, uh, but, you, you know, to this day, there, uh, there, there are testimonies as to those who said they would rid the world of the Bible and they're dead and gone. And the Bible still stands even today. It's still here. Not, not only the Bible, but they've tried to get rid of the church. God's people have been hated and despised and persecuted unlike anybody else that has ever lived on the earth. And, and the, the weird thing about it is it's kind of like the world gives the world a pass when it comes to persecuting Christians. You know, one of the buzzwords is, you know, tolerance. Well, we just need tolerance. The most intolerant people in the world are those that are calling for tolerance. They think we ought to tolerate absolutely everything under the sun, but they don't want to tolerate us as Christians believing what the Bible teaches and standing up and saying the Bible says this is wrong and that's wrong and that's wrong, and they get very intolerant when we do that. They level all kinds of accusations against us, and they've been determined whatever they've got to do they're going to shut down the churches. They're going to get rid of the churches. Well, listen, the Bible says that the church is the, now notice, not a, but the pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar and ground of the truth. The church is the only institution that Jesus Christ personally founded on this earth. And it's the pillar and ground of the truth. And in spite of all of the effort of man uh, it still stands. Notice it says the eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge. The, the word eyes is oftentimes used in reference to God's omniscience. That is the fact that God knows everything. God observes everything. And he says the eyes of the Lord, his awareness, in other words, preserveth knowledge and he overthroweth the words of the transgressor, those that have made foolish charges, those that have made threats against Christians and against the Bible and vowed to get rid of it. Well, God got rid of them. They're dead and gone, and this blessed old book that I hold in my hand, it is still here, just as much alive as it's ever been. So the... The winning side's always going to be on God's side. Now, verse 13. Verse 13, the soulful man saith, There is a line without. I shall be slain in the streets. Well, it's just another example. And by the way, he speaks about this often in Proverbs, but another example of how laziness leads to ruin. And that's the very road that a lot of people are on today. Uh, they, you know, they're just, this isn't a new problem because Solomon spoke about it again and again and again. And you go through Proverbs, and I'm not going to do the study uh, of the slothful person, but he mentions the fact, he says in one place, that they wish, but they don't work. In other words, they want this and they want that, but they're not willing to work for it. In another place, he tells us that they're, they're literally too lazy to cook. In other words, they go out and they, you know, they kill their food, 
but then they're too lazy to clean it and to cook it, and uh, uh, they expect somebody else to do that. In one place, Solomon literally says that they're too lazy to feed themselves, so lazy they don't want to even raise the spoon up to their lips. In other words, these people are not willing to pay the price for success. And uh, he, he says of the soulful person that he refuses to plow because of the, uh, of the coal. Now, let me tell you, if you wanted to torture me, just, wow, just make me, uh, make me live in a cold climate. I, I, I hate cold weather. I, I do. I just, and the older I get, the, the worse I hate it. I, I love Houston. Boy, I mean, can you, 80 degrees in January? Wow, that's awesome. I wouldn't care if it was 90. I'm all, you know, I'm all for that. But, but it says that the, the sluggard, he, he won't get out and plow because it's cold. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know plow today. I don't think it's going to get up above 50 today. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll just stay in. The point is, he's all the time making excuses. And he he is attributing. Notice he's attributing his 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 unwillingness to work in this case to fear. Notice what he says. He says, "There's a lion without. There's a lion out there. I, you can't expect me to go out and go to work today. There's a lion out there." But notice the next phrase. He says, "I shall be slain in the streets." Wait a minute. That insertion of the word streets gives him away the lions do not dwell in the cities they're out in the wilderness they're out in the countryside they're not in the cities they're not in the streets i mean who in the world would expect a lion to be out in the street none of this even makes sense but but it's simply showing you know how far a person will go uh in making excuses. Now, if he had said there's a lion out in the wilderness, I'm not going out to the farm today. You're not going to find me out there plowing because uh, I, I saw, you know, a pride of lions out there. They're liable to get me. Well, okay, that might, that might make sense. But he's talking about in town, in the city. And so, as you know, they're simply making excuses to justify their inaction. And they don't want to admit, you know, I'm just just lazy reminds me of a story up in the ozarks and this guy stopped in a little country store and there's old hound dog out there and that old hound dog was just a, I, I, he was just a howling and just sat there and just how and non-stop and so the guy went in and asked the store owner said what in the world is up with that hound dog out there he said, oh, he just, uh, he just, he's sitting on a burr. He got a burr, in, you know, in, in his uh, skin, and he's sitting on it. And then he said, well, you know, why, why, why don't he get up and move? And he said, oh, he'd rather howl. Well, you know, there's a lot of people like that. You know, they're, they're, they'd just rather howl and complain and bellyache about uh, about things, uh, you know, instead of just getting up and going to work. Somebody told me here uh, here a while back talking about the fact that, talking about, a, you know, a job situation. Well, they didn't want to do something they didn't like. And by the way, they learned this in public schools because they have been taught in public schools, you know, don't, don't you even think about taking a job. It's not something you enjoy. 
Good night. You can starve to death that way. It's a lot of times we have to do stuff that we don't enjoy doing. We do it because it's necessary. Nobody said life is supposed to be that easy that we can just pick and choose what we do. Well, one more verse, and then we're going to wrap this up. Verse number 14. Here's another subject that he speaks often of. Verse 14. The mouth of strange women is a deep pit. He that is abhorred of the Lord shall fall therein. Now, this is speaking about the the danger of the seductress. And uh, again, I said there's an amazing amount of uh, material that he gives us. Now, there's five things. I sat down there this afternoon before I uh, left the house, and I looked at this verse, and and there's just five things here that popped out to me. And, And notice she is a person that is depraved. She's called the strange woman. Uh, now, the word harlot's not used here, and this, you know, the phrase in the Hebrew, the strange woman is actually one Hebrew word, and it means a stranger, or someone is strange, or a foreigner, or an enemy, and it may, or it may not be used of a harlot. It can refer to someone that is just driven by lust as well as somebody that might be seeking money. But it's very obvious from the context we're talking about somebody that is depraved and she's determined. Notice what she does. She is roaming the streets, as it were, and in, in the, the descriptions that he gives us. He talks about her going out at night and she's standing out on the corner and roaming the streets and looking for her victims. And then she's deceitful. She wears chapter 7, for example, and verse number 10, it tells us here that she wears the attire, uh, uh, the attire of a harlot. Yeah, well, that'll cause every woman to, you know, to think about uh, how they dress. You don't have to be a harlot to wear the attire of a harlot. And, and, and a lot of times there's a, a lot of people that need to quit advertising something they're not selling. And I'm telling you what, we live in a day that even in our churches, it's a shame and disgrace, the lack of modesty. One of my favorite words in the world is the word lady. I I, I love that word. In in fact, whenever uh, whenever Bev and I renewed our our wedding vows, uh, when was that, on our 50th or whenever it was, I, yeah, the 50th, and and, and yeah, she might be listening here, but uh, in, in a way that that I, I wanted that song played, lady. That that's that is just such a special song to me because I, I I believe it's important that that women act like ladies and men act like gentlemen. Uh, I believe it's important that we come across that way. Uh, she wears the attire of a harlot we all know that you know the prostitute normally dresses different uh, uh, than a lady does and uh, we all need to be careful that we don't give people the wrong impression she's destructive and boy solomon gives numerous examples of that and 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 she's deceived there's a verse over in chapter 30 i think it is uh, that I want to read as we close chapter 30. And uh, let me 
Let me find it in uh, chapter 30 and verse number 20. Such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, notice, I've done no wickedness. Boy, does that, listen, does that ever describe the day that we live in when there are clear violations of God's standards, when it's clear based on the Bible that this is wrong, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be a sexual sin, but whatever the sin is, it's obviously wrong and people just go right ahead and do it and then uh, it's like, well, I didn't do anything wrong. What are you so upset about, you know? Well, look, if we're not going to follow the standard of God's Word, we don't have any standard. It's kind of like back during the times of the judges and what happened? Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Just you, Listen, you've got an immoral free-for-all uh, free when that happens. Just everybody do whatever they want to do. And that's, the, that's kind of the way that the times we're living in. I was listening to the news and... This little girl, I believe she was four years old, and, and showed, uh, well, it, it didn't show the dad's face, but anyway, it, it, you could hear him describing his little girl had evidently been molested at school, uh, and I don't know all of the details. Uh, a boy had gone to the bathroom with her. You know, I, I, I thought to myself, and I, I, like I said, I don't know how it happened to him, but what was he doing in there in the girl's restroom with that little girl? How, how does it happen that, our, that, that a school would allow a boy in the girl's restroom? Now, it might be they didn't allow him. He might have got in there some other way. I don't know. But what I do know is we live in a time where the transgender nonsense and all of this other garbage today Boy, I mean, it's people of the opposite sex go in either bathroom. And we live in a world that has gone mad, and the reason it's that way is because we have thrown out the Word of God and, and acted as though there is no standard of right and wrong. There is no, and, and listen, there are people that will tell you there's no such thing as absolute truth. They say it's all relative. I have my truth and you have your truth and my truth is different than your truth, but my truth is just as good as your truth. Is that crazy or what? I mean, does two plus two equal four or not? I mean, that listen, that is absolute. And you can say, well, my truth is two plus two equals three. You can argue about that all you want, but you, you're still going to have four apples, not three. We're a whole lot better off if we let God be the one to decide what's right and what's wrong because he doesn't make any mistakes. Thank you for being here tonight and joining in our study. And I, I hope maybe something's been said that will be, be a, a help. So.